This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine gentlemen of Bird Campbell with law offices in Texas and Florida and who always rock that Duke blue. Bird Campbell means business. Duke fans, hello and welcome to the 138th episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We have some basketball to cover this week. We have some weather to to recap as well. Uh, we're going to recap the Duke victories over Hartford and Yale. We'll preview the upcoming games over the next 12 days against Princeton and Texas Tech. And we also have a nice recruiting victory to discuss. But before all that, y'all know who it is. It's your boy Donald Wine here as I normally am in our nation's capital of Washington, D.C., I got my two partners with me this week. First off, uh, trapped in the winter wonderland of Fuqua, there are Sam Klein and Durham. Sam, how you doing, man? It is it is lit up in here. Uh, there's like four <laughs> inches of snow on the ground. It's still coming down. I'm down with a cold, but um, I am trying to get every... And it's also exam week, so so everything is madness here right now. But I am trying to get all my stuff done today so that I can go out uh, sledding later this afternoon and and luckily we got the basketball game in yesterday because uh if it had been if duke was supposed to play yale today there would not have been a game uh, as we know the uh <laughs> the blue devils don't don't necessarily love to uh love to play when there's tons of snow on the ground yeah that was i mean it's kind of lucky in that regard that we got that basketball game in and hopefully you guys are staying warm down there uh let me bring in my other uh partner in crime in atlanta home of your 2018 MLS Cup champions, Atlanta United, we have Jason Evans. Jason, you know I'm a huge soccer fan, but I got to ask, did you get swept up in ATL Mania yesterday? Oh, man, the city was going crazy. Uh, Atlanta has become, for folks who don't pay attention to it, Atlanta has become, Donald, back me up on this, the biggest soccer fan city in the country. Am I right? Am I right about that? It, they have the biggest crowds. I have been down to the Benz, uh, not for football, but for two soccer games. One of my best friends lives down there. Uh, have a lot of great people down there, um, and, and everyone has gotten into it. You know, even friends that you know I know from Duke that are that were not into soccer three years ago are now fully on board the Atlanta United train. So it's really wonderful to see. As a soccer fan, it's really wonderful to see how uh, the city has really. Uh, taking grip and, and taking uh, pride into that team. So, uh, congrats uh, to all Atlanta people um, on but that. Yeah. So, just last night, ju- just so people are aware, if you haven't heard about this, they're putting seventy thousand people per game into Mercedes Benz Stadium. It is rocking. It is wait, like the wait, best. Hold on, hold on. Not hold per on. game. Not per game. They've had nine. Oh. Nine of their games in their career have been over 70,000. I have been president two of them. Uh, last night set a record, but from the most part, they capped attendance at about 50,000, which is, I, I'm not saying that to diminish. That's, 50, a, crazy number. That's a crazy number. That's so um, many people. Yeah. <laughs> There's yes. a lot of people. So For when soccer. people down there are saying that, oh, soccer's not a real sport, it's it's all this, that, all the things that I was seeing on Twitter last night after they were celebrating. All you got to do is point at 73,000, which I might add, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to double check on this, is the largest attendance in that stadium's history. It is. That includes football yes. yeah. and college football. Yeah. So, so it's, yeah, not the, just the, it's not just the cheap concessions. 
that. No, no, it is not. No, it is. It is and yeah. it is a real experience. I mean, like, there's. I can't describe what it's like. Everyone who goes to an Atlanta United game, um, in Atlanta, walks out and says that was the most fun I've ever had as a fan. It is. It's crazy. It's a lot of fun. I'm. I'm so glad you brought it up, Donald. Thank you. Oh, you know, I was going to bring it up. I I spent all day watching soccer. So, uh, but you know what? We are the Duke Basketball Report podcast. So we are going to get into the basketball. Uh, first off, Wednesday, Duke hosted the Hartford Hawks. It was a bit of a struggle of a game early on for the Blue Devils, but they eventually pulled away. And, may, and the final score was 84 to 54. So it looked like they cruised, but I'm sure we'll talk about how there were a couple of issues on the offensive end. Uh, then, we hosted another team from the state of Connecticut yesterday, uh, and that team being the Yale Bulldogs. It was another game where we started off kind of slow. Defensively, we were able to pour it on the second half and pull away. 91-58, the final score there. So, guys, I want to discuss both these games at the same time. Jason, I'm going to go to you first, and I'm going to start with this question. Uh, both games, we had a little bit of a struggle on the offensive end. Are you concerned at all about those struggles, particularly from behind the arc? Not, no, I'm really not, uh, because I feel like we've seen uh, enough um, Duke games already this year. If this was the first couple games of the season, I'd say, uh-oh, maybe this is a team that isn't going to shoot the three very well. But uh, look, we've seen Cam Reddish shoot the three ball really, really well in previous games. He he was one for 14 on three-pointers in the two games this week. Um, and Cam Reddish is a way, way better three-point shooter than that. I'm I'm I'm... I think a lot of it is that this is exam week. You know, the guys are studying. Um, they're, they're they're focused as much as they can be on their academics because they they have you know final exams and papers and all the other kind of stuff coming up. Unlike some other schools that I won't bother to name, <laughs> North Carolina, uh, the the players actually go to class. They actually do legitimate work um, at Duke. And, all right, Jason. Uh, Jason gets to the point. <laughs> Yeah. The, the people are rolling their eyes at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but I, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm not concerned uh, about the Duke offense because we've seen um, such impressive offensive performances from this team. And, and, and by the way, uh, are we actually asking about our offense? Are we worried about our offense in a week where we scored 84 and 91 points in our two games? I mean, come on, <laughs> we're still we putting scored, up we scored 130. You know this. We've we've seen it. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to talk about the defense, though. Uh, this team is turning into an absolute defensive juggernaut. It is um, uh, Hartford turned the ball over 21 times. Yale turned the ball over 23 times. When they don't turn it over and they take a shot, we're blocking the shots. Did, did you guys see the stat of our block shots against, against Hartford? Almost a third 29%, almost a third of the two-point shots that Hartford attempted, we blocked. That's a crazy number. That's in, So they turn the ball over 20-plus times, and when they take a two-point shot, a high-percentage shot, presumably, we're blocking it a third of the time. I mean, I don't know how teams are able to get in any semblance of an offense against this Duke team. We saw it against Yale, and I want to remind preview last week, guys, y'all remember what I said. I said, Yale is a legit team. Yale is a good team. This is easily a top 100 team. This is a team that won on the road at Miami. This is a team that won on the road at Cal. Yale is, if if Yale wins the, the Ivy, and there are a few good teams in the Ivy, Yale will be a, a legitimate threat to upset someone in the first round of the NCAA tournament. They're good. 
they could not get into any kind of an offense against Duke. Um, they, they were, you know, Duke was pressure had extended the pressure all the way out to half court. It didn't matter who had the ball, whether it was one of the Yale guards or forwards. You know, Duke was using all five guys. When Mark Reese Bolden wasn't in the game, we were using all five guys to switch on any screen. We unleashed this defense that denied every pass, um, you know, made it difficult for you to dribble, was was double teaming and trapping as often as possible. And as a result, Yale was utterly flummoxed. Um, I, I thought it was tremendously, tremendously impressive defense. And, you know, in in two games where Duke couldn't hit an outside shot but still scored, you know, about 90 points, um, if I'm anyone else in the NCAA, I'm looking at the defense that Duke is now playing, and and I'm I'm afraid. And, and I'll tell you something. Duke has reached the point. Our, de- our defensive, adjusted defensive, you know, uh, under Ken Pomeroy, we're up to the fifth best defensive team in the country. Uh, that's terrifying when you think about how good we are on offense. You know, I, I think it, before I kick it to Sam, the one thing uh, that is incredibly cool to watch about the defense is it centers around two things, quickness and hustle. And you can and tell length, the first half. I wouldn't even say length because here's – I'll say that. I'll say why in just a second. You know, in the first half when the offensive struggles were happening, you could see that the guys were a little bit down and and really – I mean, especially against Yale. Yale was, you know, putting in everything and, and was just – you know, they were 6-8 to eight to start the game and, and even with some def- pretty defensive – you know, good defensive uh, sets, they were still making shots. And, and that kind of took a lot of, like, gusto out of the offense and out of, you know, the – the psyche of the of the players but all they had to do was start hustling and you could tell that they were winning every 50 50 ball yeah the link gets into it a little bit but they were hustling a little bit more to the ball they were being they were more quick uh there's a lot of times where the you know the old uh offense would be dribbling the ball and they would just take it and it wasn't like a you know zion williamson take your lunch money like he like he's a bully it was just like they were so quick that the ball would hit the ground, and before it could get back into the hand of the Yale uh, point guard, it was gone, and it was all the way down the other whole, other end of the floor. So that sort of thing is one thing, but also really the hustle points, they really stepped it up in the second half in both games because there was a lot of times where balls were, you know, when they're jumping the passing lanes, that, yeah, length has something to do with that, but I'm 5'9". I can jump into a passing lane. And, and steal a ball and go the other end. It's about hustle. And it doesn't matter how how long you are. As long as if you are hustling like they were doing in the second half, you're going to get those balls every single time. Uh, Sam, what did you see in these two games, um, either on the offensive end or the defensive end? You pick. Well, <clears throat> I guess I'll, I'll first piggyback on your commentary about the defense. The, the thing that's so impressive about it is that it's not one guy. It's all of them playing really well together. I mean, it, and, and it starts up up top with Trey Jones, puts a lot of pressure on the the guys on the wings. I mean, Barrett and Williamson and and Cam Reddish and Alex O'Connell, all of them have been, um, have been, as you said, Donald, like disrupting the passing lanes. And you can tell that everybody is is on the same page because they're all always watching for that tip. And as soon as the ball gets gets touched, they're either moving to the ball to go make sure it gets it gets captured or they're running down the length of the court because 
there are so many different ways that Duke can score on the break. It's, um, wait, I, real quick, it, it is. I was gonna say it is amazing. You you see um, Duke get one of these turnovers or a rebound or something, and suddenly the ball is up gone. ahead, and there and there's a guy way ahead of her, and you're like, how did he Always. even notice? It, it is like unreal how you you summed it up so perfectly that. When something ha- when the when our guys go after the ball on one side of the court, the guys on the other side of the court say that means it's my turn to run out. It's amazing. And they and, and actually it it's led to a few a few dumb plays because there will be times where it's like okay, like we've transitioned to to fast break mode. The guy who's down at the other end of the court is is ready, and then the guy who made the steal or the guy who recovered the steal is is already like lobbing it down there. And so sometimes they've they've created turnovers that way because they're like too quick and aren't actually watching the opponent. I know that happened uh, once or twice against Yale. And then also, sometimes the other team happens to hustle more and get the ball, and then they have Yale, easier Yale shots. Did a great jo- Yale did a great job of that, by the way, of right, trying so that's, to attack. So, so that's going to be tougher against against teams who bring the same kind of hustle. But but if Duke is more athletic than their opponent, then then it's a good strategy because they're going to recover more of those balls if they're going after them. And, and then they're going to get the easy points. Uh, and that's honestly the most demoralizing thing about playing Duke other than getting blocked by Zion Williamson when you didn't even know he was on the court. That's its own, that's its own level of, of scary. And it happened, it happened once or twice. I know there was one big one against Yale uh, in, uh, I think it was, I think it was in the second half where late, Zion yeah, like, yeah. he appeared like out of nowhere um, and removed the ball from existence as the Yale player went up to shoot it. <laughs> And the Yale player, like I think, I think he was like he had crashed. Down. I don't remember who it was, but he crashed down um, and and was going up for like a layup or a very close shot. There were two Duke defenders around him, and he had juked both of them out. And there was probably a moment where he thought, "Man, this is easy." And then Zion Williamson appeared like a like a dark cloud, um, just out of nowhere, just like rumbled out uh, and and swallowed the ball, and that was it. It, it ceased to exist after that. So, um, <laughs> but the. That defense, the, the defensive efficiency. I also wanted to talk about uh, or re-highlight, Donald, you talked about how good the press was. I love watching teams play good pressure defense because they didn't force any any uh, any 10-second calls in the backcourt, but there's a lot of times where it's like, oh, they're about to. Or they're, oh, they're, they're going to. It's going to happen. I love seeing them execute that well, and they did that a few times against Yale. Um, so, so that's, and and that kind of starts everything off, right? If the, if the opposition doesn't have time to set their offense and move the ball around, then, then they can't really do anything useful. I did want to go back to the, to the Duke offense a bit and note that, yeah, the, the shooting was, was a little down. I think that that'll improve. I also am hoping the same for the free throw shooting guys. That's the thing that's most concerning to me about this team is that it doesn't seem like anyone hits free throws. Uh, reliably not that it's made a huge difference here in the early season but um but it's definitely something to watch otherwise the the offense i mean the assuming that the shooting sort of recovers a little bit the offense looks looks so cool um their individuals are able to are able to do so much on this team between barrett and and williamson and there's a there's a part of me that wants them to get more of everybody else involved but it's also like Man, it's so easy for Zion to have the ball 13, 14 feet from the basket and then just appear at the rim that it doesn't even matter. I remember, uh, you know, this was only a few years ago, but Jabari Parker was able to do that too. He had 
he had that ability to kind of just like have the ball sort of in in empty space in the middle of the court and then oh it's a layup or nope it's a dunk and goodbye go to the other end doesn't it feel like doesn't it feel like zion's playing with a cheat code or something like that it does there's (laughs) been doing it all year he gets to the the hoop and you're like like because he's not that tall right he's only he's only probably six seven um and and he doesn't and he doesn't have and it's not like he has it's not like he has huge reach either so sometimes you get guys like if you get rangy guys who are like i'll say kevin durant because it's like the easiest example even though he's like you know one of the three or four best players in the nba but when a guy is that long you can kind of understand how like oh he just sort of like he just has the length to to reach out and get to the rim from from nine ten feet away zion doesn't have that uh, Zion actually has to like make moves around dudes and it's hard for Zion to make moves around dudes because he's a double wide. So uh, that's what's, that's what's so cool about it. He has so much, he has so much control. And even when the defenders are crashing into him, he can just sort of, sort of dance his way around them. It, like I, I'm up for a lot of the length that he may be lacking. I'm stunned. I'm stunned that anyone thought that, that any, that anybody in this high school class was better than Zion Williamson. I like, I can't believe it. And RJ Barrett is fantastic. Zion's better. He's, you know, you're, he does he does everything. Speaking of RJ, I want to go real quickly back to the defense. You, I am glad you brought up the team defense uh, and, and just how that was really working um, and how really the, the the steals and the turnovers were really spread out amongst the team. Everyone kind of got on the stat sheet with the exception of RJ Barrett. And, and the reason why I bring him up is in the two games, he was credited with just one steal. But if you uh, if they had like you know hockey assists for for steals, he probably would have had ten because that sort of the pressure that he puts on the ball doesn't necessarily lead to steals for him, but it leads to steals for the next guy or the next guy down the line. And I think that sort of disruption um, that he is able to provide on the perimeter was really great, especially against Yale because. When you're talking about we get the steal and we're on the break, it's because he would pressure the guy. He that guy would give up the ball in a in a bad spot to another guy. But at that point, RJ Barrett sees that this is about to happen and takes like one or two steps towards our basket. And when he does that, and you know Trey Jones or Zion Williamson steals the ball, bam, he's out in the break. Cam Reddish is on the other wing, and now all of a sudden you have a three on one or a three on none uh, breakaway, which is what we've been doing so far this year. I think that sort of team aspect of defense and really people don't care about, you know, who's getting the steal. Um, but everyone's doing everything that's leading to that play happening. That's what's really making our defense be great. Um, and Jason, why don't you wrap it up on the, uh, I know you have an offensive thing you want to talk about. Yeah. I just wanted to very quickly mention, um, uh, you know, as much as uh, on offense, we struggled on our three point shots and, and that's a, that's a big deal. I mean, Duke's going to have to, we're going to have to hit better than 20% of our – I mean, this week we basically hit 20% of our three-pointers. Um, that's not good. And and we took a lot of open three-pointers. This is not a team that forces the three-point shot, this Duke team. As much as <laughs> we didn't do a great job on the three-pointers, our two-point percentage – you know, against Hartford, we hit almost 70% of our two-point shots. That's crazy. Against Yale, we hit better than 60%, almost 61% of our two-point shots. Um and a lot of that is we get out on the fast break and we don't miss dunks very much. Sometimes we miss a couple, but, um, you know, don't miss dunks very much, especially on the fast break. Uh, and a lot of it is the fact that Zion Williamson has a cheat code that allows him to go from 15 feet to the rim without 
you know, actually moving in space. He just transports himself there, um, which is really cool. Uh, but uh, the, the fact that this team is able to get consistently get really, really good two point shots um, and convert them uh, is is the reason why we're scoring, you know, around 90 points a game, even though we're not hitting our outside shots. And uh, it's somewhat terrifying to think of how good we will be in the games where, oh, we only hit a third. Oh, my gosh. If we only hit 30, you know, 33 percent of our three point shots, um, it, it's sort of hard to imagine a game where Duke hits a third of their three point shots, uh, at, plays at a normal pace and doesn't get to 100 points because we're so ridiculously efficient on our two point shots. Um, so uh, my takeaway from both of these games a was the the defense, which we mostly talked about, which was tremendously impressive. And by the way, I haven't mentioned the name Trey Jones. Trey's D. Uh, it, Trey Trey is uh, guys. Let me ask you before we wrap all this up. Uh, when was the last time Duke had a perimeter defender as good as Trey Jones? Um, I mean, Justice Winslow did that in spurts, I think, but not not to the to the degree that that Trey brings it consistently. And, I'm about to say Winslow did it like. I, I wouldn't say in spurts, but the spurts were in key pivotal moments. Like, you know, I thought throughout the NCAA tournament, his lockdown ability was fantastic and one of the reasons why we ended up winning the whole thing. So the guy yeah. that or it, it's really like two guys, but the scheme that it reminds me of is that Louisville team that quote unquote won the national championship back in 2013 and that strippers beat Duke in the Elite Eight. Yeah. They uh that team had had the two guards that that were both I think both of their their lead guards were smaller guys, and and it's not like mm-hmm. Trey is not Trey's not that small, but he's but he's not like overwhelming physically the way that say Justice Winslow was. Um, but those guys, it was Peyton Siva, um, and who who was the other guard on that team? Regardless, the that Louisville team had those guys who were able to kind of just get up in your space, take up a lot of take up a lot of room, and also move around with you. Like Trey, Trey can body his his man up really far from the basket and then stick with him. And and that is like, it's so annoying when you're the opposing point guard and just like can't get around this dude, even though he's not, he's not so overwhelming. Like it's, you know, it's one thing if, if a Zion Williamson comes to guard you and you're like, well, okay, well, <laughs> I, I can't see anything anymore, but, but Trey Jones isn't that big. Um, but he, but he stays with his man so well. And his, his quick hands. I mean, it's like, if, if you aren't, if you aren't protecting the ball at every single moment, he will dart one of those hands in there and tap it away or something. Uh, he's he's unreal. It's just so uh, and relentless. Just uh, it's a it's a, a joy to watch him play defense. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is sponsored by our friends at Bird Campbell, PA a business law firm who bleeds Duke blue and has offices in Texas and in Florida. If you are in need of an attorney in one of these states and you also want to stick with someone that you can say go to go to Hell Carolina with, consider the PTPers of Bird Campbell. You can find them on the internet at birdcampbell.com and we thank them for their support of the podcast. All right, guys, next up for the Blue Devils is a long break. Uh, The Blue Devils will be off for 10 days while they take final exams. Then they come back with two games in three days, our final two games in the calendar year of 2018. 
They'll host the Princeton Tigers on the 18th in Cameron and then travel to New York City uh, for our home away from home game that we do every year. Uh, uh, that is at Madison Square Garden on the 20th. And there they will take on a really good Texas Tech Red Raiders team. Uh, Jason, I'm going to go to you first. Why don't you give us some things to, inspe- to expect in these two games and what we can work on during the exam break to prepare for the Tigers and the Red Raiders? Well, I mean, first of all, the Princeton game, um, the the Ivy League, as as I mentioned earlier, uh, has a few teams. There, there's they're really there's three really good teams in the Ivy League: um, Penn, Yale, and Harvard. All three of those teams um, have a legitimate shot, in my opinion, uh, against any team in the country. I'm not saying they would win often, but they have a shot. Um, Princeton is not one of those teams. Um, Princeton is not a top 200 team in Ken Pomeroy's rankings. If you look at who they've played and and how they've done against those teams, um, I, you know they there are some they, they lost by double digits to Lehigh. Um, uh, this is not a good Princeton team. They're they're just not. And um, uh, it's intentional. I think that Duke has a a 10 day break here. Um, for exams and for papers and everything else to wrap things up. And and then they have a, a, a really easy opponent in Princeton. Um, Princeton doesn't have the athletes uh, to, to have any real chance against Duke. That's just reality. I'm just going to say it that way. That's reality. Uh, but I do want to talk about Texas Tech. Um, Texas Tech is... Uh, an, an outstanding defensive team. Um, Ken Pomeroy rates them as the second best defensive team in, uh, at the moment. He has them as the 12th best team in the land. Um, they are they are a team that doesn't have a lot of offensive weapons. Their best offensive player is uh, Jarrett Culver, who's a uh, who he's a wing six five you know guard wing type player. Um, he is a real stud for them. He's just a sophomore and. Um, uh, you know, he, he probably has aspirations of playing in the NBA for sure. He's their leading scorer. He's their leading rebounder. He's their leading assist man. Um, uh, but to me, the most important player for them against Duke, they have a guy named Tariq Owens, who is a major league shot blocker. This guy had, uh, uh, he averages three block shots per game. Um, uh, they, they played Memphis earlier this year, um, who's a legitimate opponent. And um, they were down at halftime and they came back to beat Memphis. And one of the reasons they succeeded, one of the reasons they came back and beat Memphis was Tariq Owens blocked six shots in the final nine minutes of the game. Um, uh, you know, and, and he's blocking shots at the rim, shots that you're expecting to make. Uh, and, and it'll be really interesting to see if he's able to impact Duke's, you know, I talked about Duke's two-point percentage. If he's able to impact our ability to finish at the rim, um, that's probably Texas Tech's best, best hope. Um, Texas Tech has has really not played uh, anyone very notable. Uh, I, I mentioned Memphis. Um, I mentioned uh, Nebraska has actually been their best opponent. And yeah, Jason, just to just to jump in here, they played Nebraska on a neutral court, and Nebraska is a is probably going to the NCAA tournament. Um, but they they like ran away from Nebraska in the second half on a neutral court during uh, during Thanksgiving week. That's probably the the best indicator that this Texas Tech team is is actually pretty good. Um, they're currently ranked 12th in Ken Palm, but the the thing that speaks to I think the the key to this game is that they play pretty slow. Duke, as you guys can imagine, actually plays pretty fast according to the uh, adjusted tempo statistic. So uh, I think we'll get an, an early indicator about how things are going 
just on how quickly team the teams are moving up and down the court because Duke is going to want to speed Texas Tech up. They're going to be um, they're going to be in the passing lanes like we talked about in the first segment. Um, if Duke is succeeding in in poking the ball away a few times and 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 running around a lot and setting up the the pressure defense, Texas Tech, I don't think will be able to to hang even though uh, even though like you mentioned, Jason, they have the shot blocker. Um, I don't know if that guy has met has met Zion Williamson yet. So uh, that, that, that could be fun to watch. Yeah. I think the, uh, the word that I choose to describe Texas tech with is deliberate. Um, They are very deliberate in the offense and, and, you know, working the ball around trying to find the right shot that they want to take. And I think that's where they've been pretty successful so far this year. I think you're right, Sam, in, in that, us speeding the game up is going to get them out of the rhythm a little bit. I've seen them try to run in a couple of games. They're just not uh, as good at it as we are. Uh, and, and there's not, you know, that's just not what their style of play is. Um, so, you know, they're going to be the ones that are going to try and work the ball around, try and find an open, uh, you know, open shot, per, you know, on the perimeter or even inside. Uh, but I think with, with our guys, if we can, you know, limit the, uh, it, what's the word limit the backdoor cuts and, you know, making sure we know where their guys are at all times, because they can wear you down in a sense that, you know, this might be a kind of a test in a way, uh, not all the way, but this is a kind of a test for uh, when we see Virginia down the road, as far as the deliberateness of their offensive setup. So uh, I, I think that'll be a good test. And and I do think that they're a pretty good team, but I do think we have the uh, the guys that can run with them. I'll tell you one interesting thing about Texas Tech. Um, so, for, so first of all, uh, they've only had one team shoot better than 36% against them on the season. Uh, it is really hard to get a good shot against them, uh, which, uh, you know, we mentioned they've got good shot blockers and they, they play really good defense. But I was looking at a Texas Tech fan site and um, – uh, you know, this is this is these are folks who support the Red Raiders and love them and want them to win. And this fan site said, do you think that we will beat Duke? Will we remain undefeated um, after we play Duke. And 61 percent of people on this Texas Tech site said that, no, we're going to lose to Duke. So <laughs> even even they expect to, to not win this game. And look, I don't know what the Texas Tech alumni base is like, but I can't imagine that they're going to bring bring the heat in New York City in December. All right, guys, uh, we now turn to the recruiting front where Duke received an early Christmas gift this week uh, when Vernon Carey, who is number three or four uh, in, uh, in the ESPN 100 rankings, he committed to the Blue Devils. He's a 6'10 center from Florida, and he joins Wendell Moore and Rajon Boogie Ellis in the Duke recruiting class of 2019. Sam, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what are your thoughts on this and what does it mean for all the people that thought that Duke's recruiting success had reached its peak. You people need to have a little bit more faith in, in Mike Krzyzewski <laughs> and, and his staff. I understand that Jeff Cable's not there anymore, but that doesn't mean that, that he took all the magic dust with him. Uh, no, this is, this is an excellent get for Duke. Vernon Carey, by all accounts, is, like you said, Donald, he's a center, but he's, he, I think he's a, a, a quote, modern center. Mm-hmm. He'll, he'll shoot it. From outside, he's he can move around. Uh, this is exactly the guy that the Duke wanted, and I, and I saw now I can't remember one of the one of the major uh, college basketball outlets. Actually, it might have been in the Athletic that I was reading this. That uh, it's gotten to this point where it's not that 
Vernon Carey picked Duke, it's that Duke picked Vernon Carey. And that it, it sort of felt inevitable that, that he was going to commit. I, I have not certainly seen him play in person. Uh, I've watched some clips, but I did see him in Cameron uh, a couple weeks ago when he was on his official visit. And he he slinked over to, to stand with the crazies for a good chunk of the game. So um, so that was exciting. I, I'm, I'm very glad that the Duke was able to get a player that becomes like a centerpiece for this class and he'll be he'll be the focus next year when he's here and um you know and barrett and williamson are are off in the nba the other thing that i kind of like about it is that duke hasn't had one of these real big men um uh like like this year they don't have one of these guys so it'll be kind of a a fun change maybe a little bit more like last year when they had uh wendell carter and marvin bagley the stars of the team were also the big men um it'll be a an interesting change of pace next year uh on on that front but we don't know i feel like th- th- there are still a lot of changes that could happen to this roster either guys deciding to leave early or not leave early um there may be one or two recruits who are still out there i know isaiah stewart is still on the board for the blue devils so th- this class or the 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 roster for next year is is by no means uh, like finished yet I-, I think there are still more changes to come so Vernon Carey is uh, is very nimble and mobile for his size, um, and he's a guy who can score at all three levels. And by all three levels, I mean out to the three point line, um, you know, the in between game, taking the ball to the basket. He's actually he has you know really nice. Um, uh, he's got pretty good handle on the ball, and and he's able to put spin moves and things like that. And um, I don't want to say he's you know. I, I, not like Zion, but not entirely unlike Zion in taking the ball to the rim. And then he's tremendously impressive in the post. He's he's very big. It's impossible. He's he's strong in his lower body, so it's impossible to move him out of the post. Um, And he he bullies guys around and such. Uh, the, The concern with him is probably, there are probably two areas, you know, based on watching his, um, you know, high school, uh, you know, uh, AAU games and, and high school games and things like that. One is he does not have, you know, Zion's kind of quickness. Um, uh, so even though he likes, exactly right. Even though he likes to get out on the perimeter and the such, there are some questions about how well he would be able to defend on the perimeter. A uh, uh, Duke, you know, this year we're seeing the success of the Duke defense where we where we're able to switch all five guys. We're, we're Javin Delorier when he's playing center, or, or Zion Williamson when he's playing center, or Jack White. Um, Duke is able to switch uh, every position because we have guys who can really, um, big men who can guard on the perimeter. I'm not sure uh, Vernon Carey is capable of doing that. Um, he's close, but not quite. And then the other thing is um, there's some uh, recruiting analysts, some folks who say, he kind of enjoys going out to the perimeter a little too much um, and, and that he sometimes, you know, coasts and loafs a little tiny bit out there as opposed to going inside and really mixing it up. I, I've seen a fair number of comparisons and, and from watching some tape on him and the such uh, to Wendell Carter. Um, there are folks who say that they have fairly similar games. I think Carter is a little quicker off his feet. Carter's a little more of a shot blocker, but that they're both guys who have very well-refined post moves. They can step out and hit the three-pointer if you need them to. Um, and and uh, I, I, I like that comparison. I think that's a pretty apt comparison for Vernon Carey. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled Duke got him um, because there had been some of this talk that, oh, Coach K hasn't landed a stud elite recruit yet from the class of, uh, of 2019. 
Um, and and all it took was one more kid deciding. And, and now we have. Um, and uh, I, I, I think that this kid's going to be uh, we're, we're going to really, really enjoy having um, a post presence next year uh, that um, we can dump it into and just go, OK, we're going to score now. Yeah, no, that's going to be a, a really good pickup. Um, uh, and really, I, I think, Sam, when you're talking about how we used Bagley and Carter last year, um, if we get Isaiah Stewart um, as well, I think we might see a similar offensive setup to, uh, to that uh, duo. Uh, and I think that's kind of the interesting thing, you know, like you said, kind of going from uh, inside out to, you know, Zion and RJ in. Um, and then now going back to an inside out game, uh, that might be uh, an interesting thing. And, and I think it'll be interesting to see if there's any uh, guards that we pick up in this class that uh, especially ones that can shoot from outside, because I feel like with these guys, um, you have some guy that can shoot really well from the outside and you really have uh, it really takes the pressure off of them. Um, and that would be probably uh good for our team going forward so it'll be interesting to see how that works but i'm really excited well, we about. Had, i mean we picked up boogie Bo- we picked up boogie ellis who is probably you know perhaps the best three-point shooter in the class um so i mean duke's duke's bringing in some great outside shooting i i think most people have identified this the interesting question for duke next year you know we're talking about recruiting so let's let's look ahead the the question is really trey jones and does he come back to Duke? You can find mock drafts that say he leaves. You can find mock drafts that say he that say that he's going to stay. Um, and I don't think anyone knows yet. And I think a lot of it will depend on how the second half of the season goes for Duke and how it goes for Trey Jones. And, you know, how far do we go and how much is, um, uh, you know, is his success integral to the team's success in, in March and hopefully even into April? Um, if Trey comes back, uh, this is a Duke team that is fairly likely to be preseason number one, I think, because uh, of the qual. You know, with with Vernon Carey anchoring the inside now, and with the the other guys who are going to be coming back. If Trey doesn't come back, there's some real questions about what Duke does at point guard. Um, is Boogie Ellis ready to be a point guard at Duke? Um, uh, you know, do we go with Jordan Goldwire, who looks like a good defender and a competent player, but not nearly the offensive threat, not the creative threat. That, that Trey Jones would be. So um, uh, it'll be interesting to see if Duke maybe looks at another perimeter player, a, a, a perhaps a point guard type player, a combo guard type player uh, as our next recruit. And and if we do, that could be a sign of what Coach K thinks about whether Trey Jones is going to stay or go. And, and the one thing that I'll end with is uh, something that's uh, very, very funny to me. Um, when he, when Vernon Carey was at his press conference and it was down to, uh, Duke, Michigan State, and UNC. And when he picked Duke, they asked him what you know, what led you to the Blue Devils, and he specifically mentioned, "I think they'll use me better than Michigan State will," which uh, is one funny in the sense that he was talking about uh, how Sparty would use a big man, which Sparty has had a lot of great big men over the years, and the knack against us, uh, at least nationally amongst amongst haters, is that we don't use our big men very well. Um, that obviously has changed over the last couple of years, but to say that, and also just, you know, really not even mentioning UNC um, when he was discussing his college decision leads me to believe that UNC was just there because three hats is better than two. And it was down to Michigan state and Duke. And we basically 
uh, one out over Sparty um, in, in a really good get. So that's going to be re- really fun. And honestly, I, I love the fact that he mentioned specifically that we were going to be uh, a team that could utilize him better uh, than the other guys, but did not mention UNC. Tom Izzo keeps taking losses to Mike Sushevsky. L's. God. All yeah. the L's. Just think L's. about how, how, Tom Izzo. how different would Tom Izzo's life be if Mike Sushevsky didn't exist? He'd probably have two more national titles and <laughs> at least, at least, yeah, at least two more. Oh, I mean, how terrible. many times he's been to the final four and, you know, gotten basically all the way to the end and, and, and lost to a Duke team or lost to someone else? Like, he a lot. probably could have like four. A lot. Uh, what isn't Coach K's record against Michigan State against Tom Izzo? Isn't it? He's like nine. He's got one loss, and like that, that was that 05 tournament. 05, 05 Sweet Sixteen. So that was the only one. And and Roy's never and Roy's never lost to them. I think so. Yeah, Tom Izzo not a big not a big ACC fan. I don't think. All right, guys, we're going to conclude this podcast with our normal segments. First up, it's Player of the Week time. So, Sam, who you got? Uh, player of the Week for – oh, shit. Hang on. I, <laughs> I, I blacked out and was ready for <laughs> – was ready for uh, for parting shots. I'm completely, I'm completely out to lunch. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> this, Dude, how hard is it to know your Player of the Week? Yeah, Come on. Wait, 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 wait. You didn't just – you didn't know who your player of the week was? How no, I was this? I was about to launch into my I was about to launch into my parting shot story. Um and I had it like all like trained up. And then Donald, you said player of the week, and I was and and as you'll see, my 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 parting shot is a story about a friend of mine. And I was about to just I was about to launch say that my player of the week was my friend. <laughs> You're gonna name your friend. Your friend yeah, no, be player of the week. <laughs> we can't. She's already she's already getting a, a strong shout out in my in my uh, in my parting shot, let's see. Uh, player of the week, I will take Zion Williamson and his and his ability to appear at the rim. Jason, <laughs> by the way, we're leaving we're leaving all that stuff in, folks. Usually, th- something like that happens, and we mess up, and and I edit it out because we don't want to leave the the mistakes in. We're leaving all that in. <laughs> oh, good, thank God. <laughs> there you go. Right. So, uh, so for my player of the week, I'm going R.J. Barrett. I mean, wow, what a what a week R.J. Barrett had. Uh, against Hartford, all he did was 27 points, 15 rebounds, 15, 27 points, 15 rebounds, four assists. And then against Yale, he followed that up with with 30 points, seven rebounds and six assists. R.J. Barrett had a great, great week. R.J. Barrett week. scores 30 points. And, and it's like it, it, it barely happened. It, it's so it's like it's so effortless. He's unreal. He is. He he may be the best pure scorer. I said, wait, I said this in the preseason. Remember, I said R.J. Barrett's going to be the leading scorer in Duke history, and and he's living up to that so far. It, it's crazy. I mean, he's crazy. He's a crazy good scorer. He's just his ability to get to the rim is it's just sick. Uh, yes, I'm also going with R.J. Barrett this week. I, I think on the broadcast yesterday, they mentioned uh, when he hit 30 that he was the first – he was either the first Duke play, freshman or the first ACC freshman to hit 30 points uh, in, in this early in the season. But he also is the first uh, you know, player from a Power 5 conference to hit 30 points twice uh, 
uh, this year, which I think is, you know, you know, given all the good players in college basketball, there's something to be said about a guy who has scored 30 points a couple of times already, but also really like between him and Zion, they've been close. Like, yeah, how many times so far this season at scoring 30 points, we, we may have overshot uh, or underestimated the number of points that these two guys are going to put on the board because they are putting it up at an enormous clip and it's really fun to watch. But RJ is my player of the week. Hey, hey, let, hey let, let, let's be clear about something about RJ. Uh, talk about consistency. Um, so Duke has played 10 games. RJ has scored 20 plus points in nine of those 10 games uh, against Auburn. He only had 18 bad boy, only 18 points. Do you can just book him for mid twenties uh, or occasionally 30. It is. It's crazy. He's averaging 24 points per game as a freshman. He is really, really, really good at basketball. (laughs) And as always, we are going to end with parting shots. Jason, I'll give it to you first. Um, Guys, I have a question for you. Have you all seen the last days of night? No, No, but I wanted to. Uh, I, I'm that is on my list. Go ahead. The The last days of night is an ESPN 30 for 30 it is two hours long. It's currently on ESPN. You can probably watch it on their streaming app or whatever. Or certainly you can, um, you know, get it on demand. Uh, it is uh, it is ESPN's look at the last days of the career of Bobby Knight um, as head coach at Indiana University. Uh, it, it is all told by the uh, former CNN investigative reporter who who did the the major story that uncovered Bobby Knight choking Neil Reed. Um, uh, folks who who won't remember the story, um, Bobby Knight lost his job after uh, it was alleged that he had choked a player in practice. He denied it. Everyone around Indiana denied it. Um, and then uh, CNN got a copy of a videotape of practices. Uh, because every team videotapes their practices. And on the videotape, you clearly see Bobby Knight reach out his hand and and choke Neil Reed, who was one of the star players. He was a three-year starter for, for Indiana. Um, uh, th- this, this is great, great television for any college basketball fan. And the reason I want to talk about it is because I, there's a lesson here for Duke fans. Bobby Knight was, an, was a legend won multiple national titles. He had built the Indiana program. Indiana was Bobby Knight. One of the things about watching this special that you get is that Bobby Knight had absolute power at IU. Everyone backed him out of respect, out of admiration, and out of fear. He was allowed to be a bully. He felt there'd be no consequences for any of his actions. And Duke just, we need to recognize that that kind of thing can happen when you have a coach that is really powerful and really revered. I am not for a moment saying that Coach K is the tyrant, um, is the bully that Bobby Knight is, Um, even though Coach K and Bobby Knight, Coach K is considered Bobby Knight's protege. Um, And they they certainly both, you know, uh, are known for using salty language and and riding players hard and things like that. Um, Coach K isn't nearly... um, the out of control tyrant that Bobby Knight was. But I, I just think Duke needs to be aware that there are things other than the basketball program that matter on campus. Uh, I think we are, but I, I just, 
watching this special, watching this program, I, I said to myself, we cannot let that kind of thing happen to us. Uh, if, if there's, you know, ever something that happens with coach K if coach K, you know, maybe towards the uh, end of his career, he's sort of toward the end of it. Now, if, if, you know, things start to go downhill a little bit, um, this is an amazing, amazing look at the downfall of a legend. And, uh, and at Duke, we, we have a legend in place as well. Um, and, and I just want to stress that, uh, the basketball team isn't the most important thing about the university. And that's what Indiana forgot. And I want Duke to never forget that. That's a great, yeah, Jason, that's a, it's an excellent, um, it's an excellent sort of warning. I, I don't think that that's going to happen at Duke, but as you said, you, you sort of don't know until you're in it, right? That, that's, that's kind of how those, those, uh, those bad endings uh, begin to happen is that, is that we don't recognize what's happening until, until it's too late. Uh, my parting shot is a little bit more fun. I was about to tell it a few minutes ago. Uh, I wanted to tell the story of my friend, Rachel, who is one of my classmates at Fuqua. She came uh, to Duke as not a sports fan, but then she went to one of the, she went to Countdown to Craziness or one of the exhibition games. And she was like, this is the greatest thing ever. I love, I love the basketball games. I love being a Cameron. And so now she's like, she's like totally hooked on Duke basketball. Uh, having previously never been a sports fan of any kind to the point where she watched, she's watched, uh, you know, all the games that were in Maui. She was like watching them at home and like cheering at the television by herself. Or so she admitted to me. And then uh, I think the, the, the final indicator that uh, you are a college basketball fan forever and, and that you've picked a team is that she texted me the other day when Vernon Carey committed and like immediately texted me and was like, Oh my God, we got Vernon Carey. And I said, You've only been following college basketball for two months. How do you even know about recruiting? And specifically, why do you get, why do you know, like up to the minute recruiting news? So uh, my parting shot is a shout out to my friend who has become like the biggest Duke fan in, in the shortest time. Uh, it's been, it's been an incredible transformation to watch. That's, That's awesome. Really That's uh, awesome. The next step, you know, Sam is to get her to listen to this podcast. She, I, I'm, I'm sure she will. So, uh, hey, Rachel. <laughs> this is the next step. It's a natural progression. There we go. Um, so Jason's parting shot was sort of similar to my parting shot. He mentioned, a, a, you know, one of the ESPN 30 for 30s. But there's one coming up on Tuesday night that is going to be absolutely fantastic, in my opinion. And I'm looking forward to actually seeing it. It's called 42 to 1. What is 42 to 1? Those are the odds given Buster Douglas, Buster Douglas to knock out yep. or to beat Mike Tyson. And, uh, you know, probably in, in my opinion, the single greatest sports upset of all time in any sport, in any it, discipline, whatever you want to call it. Um, it really changed the course of history in uh, like sports history, world history, and really, you know, Mike Tyson, like he's, you know, similar to what Bobby now was, he was on top of the world. No one could stop him. He was undefeated and went to Tokyo and lost to some guy that people only knew by his nickname, Buster. Um, so uh, it's definitely something that I remember watching parts of it when I was a kid um, live, even though it was on at like seven in the morning here in the United States because it was in Tokyo. Uh, but I, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing kind of the backstory of how this fight came to be, some of the intricacies of the fight, uh, the fact that Douglas was knocked down and and there was a little bit of conspiracy, or not conspiracy, but a little bit of controversy uh, in the aftermath of this about the fact that he was down for so long. 
Um, but I, I think this one of the you know the thirty for thirty series. If you guys aren't watching it out there, is absolutely fantastic. There's a couple I need to catch up on, but every single one of them are really great. They even have a podcast series now that's coming back, and I think a couple of weeks um, with a fourth season of. of and it's, so really, they have a lot of great sports stories out there. This is one of them that I'm really looking forward to. So highly encourage all of you. I think it comes on 9 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday, uh, uh, December 11th. So uh, if you are inclined and you love Buster Douglas or or, or Mike Tyson like I do, uh, definitely tune in and watch that one. Hey, how how are we not sponsored by ESPN? <laughs> that would be terrific. We just, we just gave them a major league shout out. By the way, you know the other uh, just lately, uh, if you check your uh, your um, the the guide um, for programs upcoming. I know for the past week or so, ESPN 30 for 30 has been running the Survive and Advance, which is the uh, the Jim Valvano NC State 1983 uh, special, which is just fat. I recorded it. I've seen it once. I saw it again. It's just so fabulous. Yeah, and they, and the Earn Everything series, uh, the Duke one that they did this year. Um, it's not necessarily ESPN 30 for 30, but it's ESPN Plus. They've actually been showing. Uh, two episodes at a time, like once or twice a week, uh, on ESPNU and ESPN two during the day. So if you check your, your check your guide, you'll be able to find where uh, either for like a thirty minute block or an hour block, they have shown some of those episodes. So if you don't have ESPN Plus, you can record them uh, on your TV and, and be able to watch them later. So uh, now that's the things. that's the that's the content that we need on this show is the knowledge about how to get around the ESPN Plus paywall. <laughs> so for me, it's called paying for ESPN Plus because it has all of the soccer on there. Um, and, and we have gone full circle since we started with soccer, and now we'll end with soccer. <laughs> some of us, look, some of us some of us are, are, are full-time students and and just aren't, aren't you know, shelling out for $5 a month uh, TV subscriptions. No, I hear you. I definitely hear you. you know, um, your boy's got to grind. You gotta grind, but that's why we have DVR. You'll be able to watch, get all your Duke fixes via the DVR button. So uh, that's gonna do it for episode 138 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. As always, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Find us and hit that subscribe button. And if you're so kind, please leave us with a nice cushy review because it helps get this podcast out there for more Duke fans like you to find. If you have questions about the podcast, you can email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We will most likely get back to you after the Princeton and Texas Tech games because those are the last two in the calendar year. So until then, for Ron Burgundy in Durham and Champ Kind in Atlanta, I am Brian Fantana. Uh, Oh, wait. No, you're not. Are you Ron? Wait, I'm Ron. You're not Ron. I'm Ron. I'm Ron Burgundy? <laughs> Either way, <laughs> thanks for listening, and we'll have the sweet sounds of the Duke University marching band take us home. Rick killed someone with a trident.